Oh, yeah. And thank you. Children's Church, you are dismissed. done with Colossians. I've got to figure out what to do next. <laughs> I have some ideas. Anyway, um, as we've gone through this book, I hope it's been edifying to you and educational, and I hope it's challenged you to grow closer to Jesus and to live more for him, to be active in his church. And we continue this morning um, in that in that. Uh, Study. So uh, we will go to um, in a moment here. Sorry, I missed my place here. Okay, so we'll, con- we'll move on here, and uh, I'm missing some of my notes, but we'll go through it anyway. Okay, so, all right. Well, anyway, this morning we're continuing our studies, sharpening our focus, uh, and there's two main uh, words we're going to focus on, continue and walk. Continue in prayer and walk in wisdom. And so we just got through the first part of Colossians and uh, we, we've been working through things that Jesus has been saying about how we ought to live in relationship to one another, relationships in the church, relationships in the home, dying to the self, the, the flesh, and living for God. And so as we continue here, um, he is talking about uh, prayer and wisdom in our, in our study this morning. So it says, continue... Colossians 4, 2 through 6, sorry, that's where we're at. Uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So as we look at that this morning, uh, we we see a lot of challenges in there, but they're, they're both positive challenges mostly, and also there's some... Uh, you know, as, as Paul goes through all of this too, uh, some reminders about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves among others. And so as we do that, we, we look at Colossians 2 again, I'm sorry, Colossians 4 verses 2 through 6, and uh, we will look at what Paul is trying to tell us here. So first of all, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And, and as we look at that, he, he's, he's talking about this word steadfast, uh, which is actually a word that came to mean 
kind of holding ready. The same word is where Jesus said, have the boat ready. It's the same word here. So basically being in an, always in a state of readiness, in a, in a state of ready to go. So we're to be steadfast in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so he says that, and he also says, uh, pray at the same time, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. So Paul is asking for personal prayer, but not so much so that he can succeed, but that the gospel can succeed through him. And that's what he's looking forward to. Now, we have an, a, a parallel passage of sorts in one of the other prison epistles. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, Paul writes a very similar passage. And he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, as we look at that, we can see that this is an important topic for Paul. These are just two examples. He talks again and again about praying for these kind of things, staying, and Jesus did too. We know that in, in uh, the Gospels, we see that emphasis on prayer as well. And so, as we take a look at that, we, we can see that he is... Um, I'm sorry if I'm a little slow here. My notes are goofing up. <laughs> so I'm going to try something here. But, but it's, a, it's a good lesson to us always that, that Paul is writing to us here that we are to maintain that attitude of prayer. And so we want to make sure we try to listen to what he's teaching us here. Um, sorry. Okay. Try this one more time. Okay, it's not going to give me what I'm looking for. That's okay. Well, I did study the passage all week, so we'll just have to go a little more off the cuff than that. But uh, So Paul is talking here about uh, steadfastness in prayer. He's talking about how we need to stay in an attitude of prayer and to devote ourselves to it. And so in, when we look at uh, Matthew 26, for example, I mentioned where Jesus used that same word, steadfast, is translated here in Matthew 26, 41. It, and it means kind of stay awake or stay alert. So we're to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Um, and some people think that the word watching there refers also maybe to the church's watching for the Lord's return. And, uh, but really it's kind of the idea of staying alert, staying focused, on God, saying focused on our relationship with him. Um, if we look at some others who have written on this passage, for example, uh, in, uh, there's a commentary called the New Life um, Commentary. It says, the NIV has not quite brought out the full force of the next sentence. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The verb translated proclaim it clearly literally means reveal or make manifest and belongs closely with mystery. 
So Paul must not simply explain everything with clarity. He must announce and so reveal the mystery of Christ. He is under obligation to do so in such a way as to bring true knowledge and understanding to his hearers. And so we take a look there. We see that Paul is continuing on where we've gone all through Colossians. We've gone through and seen this, um, and he's continuing on. And then be motivated by that prayer, staying vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So to be bound up with persons in prayer secures a relationship. It keeps it whole and growing in a way nothing else can. And so someone wrote, When I pray for another from whom I may feel estranged, I cannot remain the same in my feelings and in my separation from that person. Have you ever tried that? So if you're in a relationship with someone and it's strained, you're, you're frustrated, you're annoyed, you're fed up, whatever words you want to use, try praying for them. And even if they don't change, God will change your heart towards them. And that will encourage you as well. He said, when I pray for another person about whom I genuinely care, or even for a person I may not know, the power of love and caring is so generated within me that it flows out into the life of the other or is passed on to the other in ways I may not even recognize. So we're to pray continually. We're to walk in wisdom as well. And... uh, In the Bible exposition commentary, it says talk is not cheap. We need to think about what we're saying. We need to think about how we say it. Um, And so as we look at this next part where he's talking about our speech and our action towards others, we have to consider what he's saying there about walking in wisdom. What does that mean to walk in wisdom towards outsiders? Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So walking in wisdom to outside, for, or toward outsiders, uh, who are the outsiders? Well, those are the people who have not yet become part of the church or are not going to become part of the church, and we're to walk in wisdom toward them. Well, what does that mean? How does that play out in our day-to-day? Well, it has to do, in this context, I believe, with witness. What kind of witness are we for Christ? What kind of example are we for the world to see this is the kind of person who goes to a church? So he's talking about how we relate in our day-to-day and letting our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, and I'm going to talk about seasoned with salt in a moment, what that means. But, um, but we need to make sure we're making the best use of our time. What happens when we don't have gracious speech, when we don't walk in wisdom towards, each, uh, towards outsiders, or even the insiders as well? Well, what, what happens is, and, and you've probably run into this. I've run into this before too, and it's really, really a sad thing. And, and you'll be telling someone, uh, maybe about your church, and you'll say, oh, yeah, I go, I go to this church, and they'll say, oh, isn't that church the church that so-and-so goes to? And you go, oh, yeah. He goes there, or she goes there. And if that person, and I've run into that, I've been at churches where this was the case, and there's someone who is a very poor example 
of what a Christian ought to live like, and, and someone says, oh, doesn't so-and-so go to your church? And you just kind of want to like, oh, I wish I didn't have to admit that, you know. But that's not how we ought to be. We have to be really careful to be gracious in how we treat others. And I know I keep bringing this up, but it's in our world today, and I think this is a, an application that has to be considered. And again, with, these, with the vaccines that are out there, clearly there are different opinions on the vaccine. And so there's genuine people that are concerned about the vaccine because they say, you know, this vaccine was developed so quickly. Usually they take 10 years or more. And, and it's, I'm concerned, what is going to be the long-term result of the vaccine? And that can be an honest position. And then there's people on the other side and they say, but the vaccine is available and the uh, risk of taking the vaccine is outweighed by the risk of me getting COVID. And that's a sincere and valid position as well. Do you see, we don't have to paint people a certain way because they disagree with us and assume that they haven't thoughtfully considered what their position is. And what really grieves me is that even in the church in the past year or so, on a lot of these issues, when people have taken whatever side they're on and the other side has is, is got a different side and they say, how can those people be so stupid? I've heard people say that in the church. Oh, what a bunch of idiots. And it's on both sides. It's on both sides. And we have to be very careful with that because what kind of a witness does that give to the world? And by the way, is that the kind of world you want to live in? Where you have to find out, oh, did did so-and-so get their vaccine or not? Oh, you know, someone dies and then everybody says, well, did they, they died of COVID? And they say, did they have vaccine? Almost like they want to vindicate their position. And so if they were kind of resistant or uncomfortable with the vaccine, then they want to say, oh, they had the vaccine, so they died of COVID even with the vaccine. Aha! And on the other side, people will say, oh, they didn't have the vaccine and they died of COVID. Aha! Oh, God, help us. That's the world we're in right now. That's the world that shouldn't be the church. This is a very difficult topic because people have deep, true concerns on both sides. We need to have grace. We need to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, but also insiders. And we need to make sure that we aren't proclaiming judgment on them. And by the way, the Bible has some pretty stiff uh, rebukes of people who would use words like moron and idiot about others. So be careful what you're saying, especially if you're on some of these social medias because it tends to be that we lose control and, and say things that we probably shouldn't. Devote yourself to prayer and be motivated to pray because Paul is saying, I need your prayer. Do you know no successful gospel ministry has ever been successful without a group of people praying for it? And people will say, well, you know, if, if, if the church would do this program or if they would just go out and get those types of families or if they would just do this or that, um, then the church would grow. If you spend as much time praying for your church as you did about wondering what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing, 
Not that we should never have those conversations. But that's the challenge. Do you pray as much as you discuss? Do you go to the Lord with it and say, Lord, is my heart right? Do I want something because it's my preference? Do I want something because it's best for the church or because it's just what I like? And those things are tough to answer and tough to question ourselves. And we all have to do that, and especially in church leadership, of the elders and the governing board and all of that. We all have opinions differently too. And we maybe think we should do this, and maybe we should think we should do that. But are we praying? Are we saying, Lord, you guide us. And really, if we stick with the basics, we will be okay. If we preach the word, if we pray together, if we serve each other and serve our king, we'll be okay. And there's so much to be thankful for. Paul writes about being thankful. Um, and he, he's said this many times in Colossians about being thankful. And, and, a, and one person noted that, you know, Paul is writing this while he was a prisoner. He's writing this sitting in a prison cell saying, Be thankful. You know, and I'm sure Gary could share some testimonies. I've known guys, too, that did prison ministry. And they'll say, you know, some of the most thankful guys are locked up. Why? Because they only have one thing to focus on through their day, that the Lord saved them. And it doesn't matter their location where they're at right now because they're looking forward to the future with Christ. And so we can look forward as well with thanks and be grateful for what God has done for us. And he also is saying that we have to be alert for reasons and opportunities for personal witnessing. Um, One commentator said, redeeming the time means buying up the opportunity. This is a commercial term and pictures the Christian as a faithful steward who knows an opportunity when he sees one. Just as a merchant seizes a bargain when he finds one, so a Christian seizes the opportunity to win a soul to Christ. So some of your translations will say redeeming the time. Have you ever watched one of those congressional hearings? You know, and they interrupt each other all the time and someone will be standing there, redeeming my time, redeeming my time, redeeming my time. And what they mean is, I had five minutes to ask questions. You interrupted me and took a minute and a half of my time. I'm redeeming my time, I'm redeeming my time. And some of them are really boisterous about how they do that and if you've never watched that you're probably better off but um but that's what we do every day in the halls of congress and and in city governments and in state governments all over the country that's what you'll see redeeming the time well paul is writing about redeeming the time not in a sense that we need to get time back we really can't time that's gone is gone but we need to make best of the use of the time we have now We need to make sure that we are wisely using our time. And remember the whole context of this is really coming down to our outside witness outside the church. How are we appearing to the people outside the church? Are we redeeming the time? In other words, are we using those interactions with other people in a good way that presents a good face of the church, a good face of the gospel, a good face of this is how a Christian lives. Is that how we're redeeming our time? Are we making the best use of our time, as the ESV says? And then we talk about the salt. 
there's a lot of connotations that are linked to the salt. And I, I'll just read this quote here from uh, the exposition, Bible exposition commentary. We should never say to anyone, now take this with a grain of salt. We must put salt into our speech to make, it, make sure it is pure and properly seasoned. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29 Our speech must be pure. Salt was also added to the sacrifices. In Leviticus 2.13, you can read about that. And perhaps Paul was suggesting that we look on our words as sacrifices offered to God. Just as our words of praise are spiritual sacrifices. Do you think of your words, your speech as a sacrifice to God? And do you put salt to make it flavorful? It would no doubt help us to say the right things in the right manner if we remembered that our words are looked on as sacrifices to God. So as I get towards a conclusion here, um, I want to go through, there are so many passages in Scripture that you just have to kind of narrow them down. But I could probably just read you passages from Scripture on speech alone and we could probably be here for two hours or more just reading the scripture with no commentary. There is so much scripture on speech. But I want to go through some just to remind ourselves of what our speech is to look like. Ephesians four, twenty-five to 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Put away falsehood. It means we're not supposed to be liars. We're to speak the truth with our neighbor and we're supposed to be angry and do not sin. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment with another passage that we're going to look at. Proverbs 12:18 There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What does a sword thrust do? My girls are taking fencing class so we're learning all about swords now. A sword thrust wounds. It causes blood to flow. And what is it how did you lead up to the sword thrust? You were in a fight, right? There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I gotcha. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I love that in the Proverbs. There's this kind of Jewish way of writing that they, come, they put one thing in the next and they're kind of opposites, right? So you can draw the contrast. And so... He's got the negative and the positive. The one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to have a tongue of a wise that brings healing. And that means that sometimes we say the words that are healing up the wounds that others have given. But words can never be taken back. I remember one of my professors saying in his many years of ministry he said, the one thing that happened where you saw people and you tried to work them through marriage counseling, but they still ended up with a divorce is because no matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, that person can't forget the words that were said. The one, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
And this one, the next one, is one that has saved me many times and probably I've ignored it many times too. But it's a good reminder. Know this, my beloved brothers, James 1, 19 to 22. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of God does not produce the righteousness, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weakness, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, we all deal with anger from time to time. And sometimes we like to think our anger is righteous anger. Let me tell you something. 90 plus percent of the time, your anger is not a righteous anger. Someone's out there saying, oh, you just don't know. I, mine, mine really is, and now I'm angry with you for saying that. No. But, but verse 20 there really has, has nailed me so many times, I cannot tell you that the Lord brings this verse to my memory when I'm confessing of my own anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so if you think your anger is doing something good, most likely it's not. And there are times where we have righteous anger. When we see injustice, when we see uh, babies being killed in the womb, we, we can have a righteous anger. But in a moment, our anger can go beyond some little righteous, even, to have, even if it has the righteous moment, it goes beyond that, and all of a sudden we want to take revenge. But vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? So he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves at the end of that passage. Now, I have heard the, 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 that one verse by itself misapplied many, many times. And what do I always say? Context is king, right? So what does James mean when he says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself? What is the context in which he says it. He's saying, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Let's look at the context there. I've heard people use that basically for kind of spiritual manipulation, you know. I want you to do this in the church, and so be doers of the word and not hearers only. And what, what the, It's my word, not the God's word, though. So you've got to be careful with those things. It's easy to try to take Scripture and motivate people in the wrong ways. Um, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Because so, what happens when you lose control? What happens if you go to Costco and you lose control? Your bank account is broken into and left without walls, right? If you, if you don't have self-control in any area, it causes some problems, right? And so a man without self-control, the man that can't, be in a situation and just calmly take a breath. You just insulted me, but I'm going to step back and I'm going to have self-control. If I don't have that, then I become the brawler, right? And, and basically, that doesn't get you anywhere. 
This is an important one, Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if your brother sins against you. And this is the words of Jesus, by the way, in case you were wondering. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, the way a lot of people have, you know, we talk about biblical interpretation a lot. You know, it was, originally it was written in Greek and it's translated to English. Unfortunately, some people have translated this wrong because for some reason they read it and they see if your brother sins against you, go and tell everybody else about it. Oh, believe me, it happens. You know it happens, right? I don't need to tell you I believe me, but... You know, this is a really important thing. If you're having an issue with someone, do you go to them? Or do you go talk to the other people in the church? You go and say, hey, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did to me or said to me. You need to go to them, make peace. One-on-one. If it doesn't work out one-on-one, there's other instructions there. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Praise God for that. We're all tempted. We all have temptations all the time. But with those temptations, we, he's given us an escape plan. And if we follow the escape plan, plan then we will be safe. Proverbs 16.24, again, speech, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That's that's that impulse we have to react verbally immediately when someone says something we're not sure what they said or we think we're sure and they offended us and we're hasty in our words and all of a sudden we just made the situation worse because we replied back more hope for a fool than someone that res- responds that way. And finally, Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And again and again, you can go back to the Proverbs. There's, uh, in fact, in my Bible, I've underlined all the Proverbs that have to do with communicating with other people, and you will not believe how many underlines are there. <laughs> There's a lot. And I still miss the boat sometimes too, so forgive me when I do, and I'll forgive you when you do, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on together. So just to wrap all of this up, and I do apologize, I had a lot of notes, somehow they're not showing up, this is the first time that ever happened to me, but um, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Paul is writing this, he's saying pray for us, those in prison. He's in prison praying, asking people to pray that God may open a door to us for the word. This would be like one of the prisoners Gary ministers to writing a letter to us and saying, pray for me that as I sit in my cell here, that God will give me opportunities to present his word. Isn't that a beautiful thought? A selfless thought. Paul didn't say, oh, you know, pray that, that uh, I get well fed tonight. Pray that I have a a nice new coat or something like that. He says, pray that 
there would be a door open for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak and then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Redeeming my time. Redeeming my time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. And if we do that, we will help our unity in the church, we'll help our relationships to be joyous, we'll be an example to the world, we'll make the gospel more uh, lovely to those around us that don't know Christ yet. But if we can't do those things, the opposite. Our relationships will suffer. Our church will not have unity. And the world will look at us and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. So Paul's giving us a very good encouragement here. So let's continue steadfastly in prayer. And let's walk in wisdom and let's have gracious speech. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to it. Lord, as my notes got goofed up, if I said anything that was out of order, I pray you help us forget it. If there was anything useful, Lord.